1: Wildfires continue to rage across Northern California, but there is progress on containment. All three major wildfire complexes in Northern California report some improvement in containment numbers. Elsewhere in Southern California, the Apple Fire near Riverside is now 95 percent contained and the Lake Fire in Los Angeles is 70 percent contained. The current heat wave is expected to continue through Friday, according to City News Service. For the latest on the California wildfires, go to kpbs.org and fire.ca.gov. On Tuesday, healthcare workers at Tri-City Medical Center in Oceanside demonstrated their support for a bill that would require officials to stockpile personal protective equipment. The Healthcare and Essential Workers Protection Act would mandate the state to have a three month supply of clean PPE for healthcare and essential workers. It would also require healthcare employers maintain new and unexpired PPE in the event of a state emergency. Lenny Pisco Garcia is surgical technician for Tri City Medical Center and says mandating stockpiles would make it feel like officials have healthcare workers' backs. Our government,
2: our state, who's going to support us when we run out of this stuff and how are we going to do our jobs and take care of our patients and our community if we don't have PPEs.
1: Molly Woods-Drake with the Service Employees International Union or SEIU says the union represents more than 100,000 healthcare workers. She says 14 have died statewide as a result of the coronavirus. We have to do everything we can to basically outfit them as they're going to war, and that's not something that has been happening. Tri-City does have a stockpile of PPE, and those at Tuesday's rally commend the healthcare system for stepping up to the plate, but they say it's not this way across the state. San Diego ocean temperatures set a record this past weekend. The temperature at the end of Scripps Pier hit 79.5 degrees Fahrenheit for only the second time in more than 100 years that records have been kept. The initial record was set two years ago. Scripps Institution of Oceanography researcher Art Miller says it is part of a trend that could soon impact nearshore habitats.
3: We are seeing all, all along our coast, typically warmer temperatures, as the decades pass, Um, and we have to be concerned about that because the stratification of the ocean controls the upwelling of nutrients that feeds the base of the food web along our coast.
1: Miller says scientists are trying to gauge the impact of the warming as they study the long-term trends. The Republican National Convention continued last night with speeches by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and First Lady Melania Trump, among others. And it's on again tonight on KPBS Radio starting at 6 p.m. and KPBS Television starting at 5 p.m. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, August 26th. You're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. California is witnessing some of the largest fires in its history. A new study suggests these fires could linger deeper into the autumn season in years to come. CAP Radio's Ezra David Romero reports.
3: California has experienced three years of big fires, including many occurring in the fall. Stanford climate scientist Michael Goss wanted to know if the dry and hot conditions that create megafires are becoming more normal later in the year. What he found surprised him. Since 1980, the number of days that are perfect for a fire to start in the fall jumped from 4 to 12 statewide.
2: They're going to get worse. It could be that
3: we're going to see more seasons where we have multiple large wildfires across the state
2: of California.
3: Goss says the number of days that pose a wildfire risk will likely grow, even if carbon emissions are curbed. But he says individuals and policymakers still can take action to limit how often megafires strike. In Sacramento, I'm Ezra David Romero.
1: California state lawmakers are gearing up to debate a handful of police reform bills before their session ends next Monday. On deck for a final vote are proposals to ban certain chokeholds and to restrict police from using tear gas and rubber bullets on protesters. But as the deadline looms, police unions are calling for more time. Eric Nunez is president of the California Police Chiefs Association.
0: I think a lot of these bills we actually support in concept. The problem is, is the devil's in the details and what they actually...
1: Nunez says the coronavirus has made it difficult to consult with lawmakers on language, particularly on two bills. One would decertify officers in certain cases, and another would make all misconduct complaints against officers publicly available. He says, with only a few days left, it would be better to hit pause until next year. A new plan could bring changes to the historic Friendship Park nestled at the westernmost edge between the U.S.-Mexico border. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne gives us the details.
2: Friendship Park has been a historic meeting place for families separated by the border. Because of COVID-19, the park is now closed on the U.S. side. Now a group called Friends of Friendship Park has launched a new campaign, Build That Park, that could potentially mean the construction of a binational park between the U.S. and Mexico architect James Brown is part of the group. As important as this meeting space is
0: in the world, it is one of the least attractive and oppressive parts I've ever laid eyes on. We're going to remedy that.
2: The group's concept includes a retractable fence and a pier. They're hoping the design will capture the attention of the public and government officials to one day make it a reality. Tanya Thorne, KPBS
1: News. The federal agency in charge of approving green cards and naturalizing new citizens is now backing off of a plan to dramatically reduce its workforce. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services says it's no longer cutting jobs because, it says, revenue from new green card applications has ticked back up. Those funds had fallen sharply at the onset of the coronavirus pandemic. Critics had said the planned furloughs would delay citizenship applications for years and leave thousands of immigrants unable to renew their work authorizations. The head of the USCIS said on Tuesday that his agency will still need a federal bailout this fall, but the agency will continue to operate at its current capacity until lawmakers can come to an agreement on future funding. The flu season typically begins in October and health experts are worried how that will collide with the current coronavirus pandemic. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento asks Kaiser Permanente's Dr. Will Sang how the annual flu shot may help. Dr. Sang, thank you so much for speaking with me.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Flu season's coming up, we're in the middle of a pandemic. What is the first thing that the
0: public needs to know? The public needs to know that the flu vaccine works Uh, For the last uh, several years, CDC has looked into the study and proven without a shadow of doubt that you can prevent hospitalizations up to 37% and if you do get admitted, you reduce your chances of ending up in an intensive care unit by 82%.
2: We do know that the efficacy of the flu vaccine changes year to year. I believe it's 40 to 60 percent efficacy based on year. That's, you know, not really a convincing argument for people.
0: I mean, we, we hear those numbers thrown around. But the key thing is, if you look at the studies and CDC has done this every year now to look at the efficacy. That's why I said that if you have been vaccinated, you can reduce your chances of getting in to be ending up in a hospital. But more importantly, even if you do come in for a flu-like infection, if you've been vaccinated, it drops your chances of ending up in the intensive care unit or even dying from the disease by up to 82%. On top of that, you can also prevent yourself from spreading it to someone who's older or younger, who are more vulnerable, and that's really what we want. Protect yourself, but protect your family as well.
2: How are you actually going to spread that message that results in people actually coming in at a time when people are scared to come in.
0: I guess the best example is this. You know, not only do we believe in this, we walk the walk and we we talk, talk, but we walk the walk. So all our physicians, all our staff physicians, every year we have about high 90% um, vaccination rate among all our staff physicians, up to 99.3 in several years because we believe in it. We're not just talking about it, we, we follow that advice. Um, You know, the only exceptions, I'll tell you, is people who take extended leaves or uh, if they have valid medical concerns, uh, that's documented.
2: That's your staff. What about rollout for the public?
0: We've learned from this pandemic. Uh, We've learned that we can use technology wisely, um, keep the same quality, keep the same service, and increase the safety. So last thing we want is to transmit it from person to person. So we've leveraged technology. We have walk-up drive up, we have uh, on-site, we have face-to-face, uh, we have all different means to get you to, to, to have the vaccine, receive the vaccine safely. So we've also uh, put a QR code. So instead of the traditional walk up to the clinic, grab a clipboard, grab a pen, sign it, everything is digital. Even the education component is digital. So we can minimize that risk of transmission. It's all about prevention. It's all about making sure that you don't get sick and that we help you get what you need to keep you healthy, keep you and your family healthy.
2: Why is it more important to get it during the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: If you get flu and you get damage in the lungs for flu, you are more susceptible for other viruses, not just COVID alone, but all the other lung diseases.
2: There are tens of thousands of people in San Diego County who have previously tested positive for COVID-19. Should they be getting the vaccine?
0: Absolutely, they should be. Now, there is an exception, when you have COVID, if you're active with COVID, that is an exception because we don't want you to get, transmit the, the virus to other people as well. We wanna keep you safe. So after you're, you're um, recovered from COVID, yes, absolutely, you should be one getting the vaccine. It's very important because we know COVID has some lasting effects in the lungs, so you don't wanna damage your lungs further. You wanna make sure you prevent from getting infections.
1: That was KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento speaking with Kaiser Permanente's Dr. Will Sang. Coming up on San Diego News Matters, human brains owe a lot to genetics, but they also owe a lot to human experience, which functions to wire those brain cells together.
3: Human brains in particular, we drop into the world half-baked, and then from there, we, um, we absorb everything around us to finish that wiring.
1: We'll hear from a neuroscientist and Stanford professor who talks about what he calls the ever-changing brain. That's up next, just after this break. The brain were smart enough to figure out how the brain works. There is so much about it we don't know. In recent years, brain research has greatly expanded, including knowledge into how it's wired. David Eagleman is a neuroscientist, professor at Stanford, and author of the new book, Live Wired The Inside Story of the Ever Changing Brain. He talked to KPBS midday edition host Mark Sauer about the wiring of the brain and how it involves so much more than just a DNA molecule.
3: DNA is only, let's say, half the secret of life. And the other half is everything around you, all of the experiences that you absorb. This is what causes the brain to wire up in the particular ways that it does. We are essentially like sponges. Human brains in particular, we drop into the world half-baked. And then from there, we, um, we absorb everything around us to finish that wiring.
2: And you write that the brain's wiring changes one day to the next, often in subtle ways, sometimes dramatically. Explain how that works.
3: You know, you've got 86 billion neurons. These are the main brain cells. And each one of these has about 10,000 connections to its neighbors. So you've got, you know, like 0.2 quadrillion connections in the brain and these things are changing all the time. And so we are a constantly changing dynamic system. And I think this is the really important way to think about and to understand the brain is not as a collection of pieces and parts that you draw on a map, but instead to understand it as a, a living dynamic electric fabric.
2: And what happens when suddenly uh, nothing is normal, such as in a pandemic, when we all suddenly become like shut-ins? How does the brain adapt to such dramatic life changes, or does it ever really adapt?
3: We are so adaptable. And strangely, I think that this whole issue about brain plasticity is the single silver lining to 2020, and here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, normally what the brain is trying to do is establish an internal model of the world so that we can operate in it effectively. And that's essentially what we've spent our whole lives doing: is figuring out, okay, look, I get this, I know how to how to optimize my performance in this world. And then suddenly, 2020 comes along, and all of us are kicked off the hamster wheel, and the things that we thought we knew exactly how to do in situations, how to function in and so on, we suddenly are off that path of least resistance and we have to rethink things afresh. And that's actually what brain plasticity is really good at at doing is figuring out, okay, whoops, this model doesn't work anymore. Let's generate a, a different model. Let's think of new things. And so despite how lousy this year has been for everyone, it's been an extremely creative time also.
2: And of course, we're all individuals with individual brains. I'm wondering what happens in people where the wire, wiring just fails to adjust.
3: People have uh, different capacities to deal with anxiety and stress. And so this is a really lousy time in terms of you know, everything from alcoholism and drug addiction to suicide. Um, this is a really tough time on people. As I said, from the point of view of brain plasticity, the reason this matters is because we know from decades-long studies that the most important thing is to challenge the brain, is to have it facing novel challenges and circumstances all the time. And where we see this especially is when people retire. Often people will retire and their lives will shrink and they'll end up sitting on the couch watching Jerry Springer and that's all they do. But you can contrast that with Um, with groups of people that have been studied who have stayed cognitively active to their last days. And it turns out some of those people have Alzheimer's disease physically in their brain, and yet nobody knew it. They didn't show the cognitive deficits that are typical of Alzheimer's. And the reason is, even as their brain was physically degenerating, they were making new roadways between A and B and C and D. They were constantly making new things happen in their brains specifically because they were being challenged with novel circumstances.
1: That was Stanford professor and neuroscientist David Eagleman speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Mark Sauer. San Diego News Matters is a daily morning news podcast powered by all of the reporters, editors, and producers in the KPBS newsroom. Tune in to KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or catch KPBS Evening Edition at 5.30 p.m. on KPBS Television to keep up with all the news throughout your day. You can also find us on Twitter at KPBS News or to find our podcast producer, Kinsey Moreland. She's at Kinsey. And as always, you can find more KPBS podcasts like Only Here or Cinema Junkie on our website at kpbs.org slash podcast or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.